welcome back to the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. They're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 from my personal account, or just look up Locked On Dimebacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. Now, for today's show, we're going to discuss everything that went right and wrong with the D-backs lineup, the offense in 2021. Yesterday, we discussed the pitching, so go back and listen to that episode if you might have missed it. I at least thought it was insightful, if I do say so myself. And today, we're going to be giving you a lot of numbers, a lot of stats to illustrate the good and the bad of the D-backs offense in 2021. And then I'm going to I'm going to wrap up the pod with a little discussion about the MLB playoff. Just give my updated thoughts on the Braves versus Dodgers and Red Sox versus Astros series. So it's going to be a jam-packed pod, so stay right there. And I know you will because thank you for making Locked On Dimebacks your first listen every day. This podcast is not possible without you. Thank you for listening, subscribing, reviewing. Remember, this podcast is free and available on all platforms, so please continue sharing with your friends. But now, let's play that sweet D-backs intro. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Miller Thomas, of course, still here of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. And let's discuss the D-backs offense in 2021 because, of course, this D-backs team was very frustrating. Yesterday, we talked about the pitching. Of course, the pitching was frustrating. How can you win ball games when your starters contribute the most losses to your team in the National League? I think your relief contributed the second most losses to your team in the National League. The quality start percentage. Quality start percentage by the rotation was 25%. 25% of the time they went six innings and gave up three earned runs or fewer, the worst in the National League. So we have to ask ourselves, were the D-backs bad because they had terrible pitching, but at least their offense was good? Or was this collective group, every player on the D-backs, every position group on the D-backs, were they all bad? And I'm sorry to say, but... I'm not really sure when you say louder reform or which is which, but whichever one is the second option, that's going to be the D-backs because they pretty much got it bad from every position group on this team. If you look at some traditional numbers, which I know people really don't like nowadays, most people are all about what's the advanced analytics, tell me his war, or yada yada. Well, we'll get into some of those advanced stats, but let's start with the traditional stats where a simpleton like me can still understand. D-backs, second fewest home runs and stolen bases in the National League. And just a little FYI, whenever I say these stats, it will all be in the National League and not overall baseball. So D-backs, second fewest home runs and stolen bases in the National League. The D-backs just never were able to create chaos or extra opportunities for themselves or create maybe the, the better way to say it. The, the D-backs were not able to create instant offense 
home runs, instant offense. Put run, put put one to two to three to four runs on the board instantaneously. Stolen base, immediately get a guy in scoring position at second. Maybe he steals third with one out, and all of a sudden you need a sacrifice fly. The D-backs did not do any of that. They were not able to come back into games quickly because they didn't have much power, and they were not able to put themselves in better positions to score because they never want to steal bases. And part of that did work out in their favor because... They had the third fewest outs on the bases. So when you never want to send anybody, I would hope you don't get thrown out on the bases, you know, advancing or whatever else you're doing on the bases. And the D-backs played it safe. They were a conservative team. The D-backs tried to grind out wins, which never happened for them. And I wish they created a little bit more havoc on the base pass. I liked Tim LaCastro just because he had speed and he was a threat to steal at any time, which puts some pressure on the pitcher. The pitcher never, once Tim LaCastro was traded, the pitcher never had to look over to first for a pitch out or anything like that because there's no one on the D-backs that was going to go except for maybe a Dalton Bar show. So the D-backs, they need to get a little bit more instant offense in this line for next season. That's one of my off-season wishes. All one of my off-season wishes, all those S's and H's together, makes it tough for me to talk. But D-backs, third worst average in the NL, third worst OPS, and fourth in runs scored. They average 4.19 runs a game. So, of course, we already know this D-backs offense, absolutely terrible. But if I did have to give them a little bit of respect, it has to be because the D-backs offense was actually above league average in terms of walk rate and slightly below league average and strikeout rate so they were actually above they were actually better than average and not striking out and getting walked so those are two positive signs but even with that being said they still had a terrible pretty terrible obp they just didn't strike out a lot which was a a good sign for them they the d-backs were a patient team which both helped them and hurt them in some respects which we'll talk about later but let's look at some of those advanced numbers because the d-backs lineup accumulated a nine war, literally just a nine war, not 10 war, not an eight war, just a nine war, which was the second worst in the National League. The Marlins were the worst, or excuse me, the Marlins were the third worst at 11.4 war. So the Marlins lineup created two extra wins on average in terms of war than the D-backs. And that's such a damning stat because the Marlins have the cheapest payroll in the National League. The D-backs payroll was pretty much double the Marlins payroll, and it didn't matter. The Marlins ended up with more wins than the D-backs and produced better offensive numbers from their lineup. That is disrespectful. That is disgraceful to the D-backs when they still had pretty solid players in their lineup. The Marlins, they, they I don't even know what the Marlins were trying to do this year, but they were somehow doing better than the D-backs, which just shouldn't be possible. And... When you look at this D-backs team, one of the reasons why it was so frustrating to see this offense not come through repeatedly, why it's so frustrating to see why a team like the Marlins, where half the payroll can be better offensively, is because the D-backs actually led the National League in platoon advantage at 67.7%. What does that mean? Almost two-thirds of the time, the D-backs had a righty batter with the lefty pitcher or vice versa. The D-backs usually had the advantage at the plate, and it did not matter. The D-backs were never able to come through offensively. It seemed like when you needed them, of course, there were games where their offense was clutch late or they had a big hit or a walk-off, but time over time, over the course of a full season, the D-backs offense, which is not good enough, and part of the reason 
Of course, we know they don't have enough power. They have the second fewest home runs. They not only don't have enough power in just terms of slugging it, in terms of raw power over the fence, they also just don't have overall power. They have the second worst hard hit percentage. What is hard hit percentage? Ball's exit velocity of 94 of 95 or more. D-backs only had a hard hit percentage of 35.8%. That's extremely low, so line drives are not even that possible. Those Gab doubles really aren't that possible either for the D-backs. And when you just put all those numbers together, bad average, bad OPS, not enough home runs, not enough stolen bases, the D-backs offense was just not dynamic enough. You had the platoon advantages. You could do the righty-lefty cross matches all you want. If you don't have the talent, it does not matter. And that's where the D-backs really struggled because some of the guys they were throwing out there, and we're going to talk about how bad their position groups were in the second segment, but some of the guys the D-backs had to throw out there during the season, you just weren't going to win games the way they were doing it. You, When you had someone like a Nick Heath out there for more games than he should have, I'm trying to look at it. Nick Heath played 20 games for the D-backs. That's 20 games, too many games for Nick Heath. I mean, Steven Vogt's not going to do anything for you offensively. Josh Reddick had to play games for this team offensively. Like Some of the guys that he put out there at the plate should not maybe even be in the major leagues, but the D-backs, they were, they were almost forced to. Either because they wanted to tank and get a high pick or Tori Lavello or the front office. Someone doesn't know what they're doing. I don't know why. I don't know why Wyatt Matthewson's at the plate. I don't know why Nick Heath at the plate. But it's a big reason why this D-backs offense was terrible in 2021. Because you're putting terrible players at the plate. Now we'll discuss some more disgusting offensive numbers by the D-backs in 2021. But slow is just right if you're on vacation. A sloth or describing QuickBooks. More like slow books. It sucks you in and slows you down with manual processes, integration difficulties, and glitchy delays that leave you scrambling for the numbers you need. Now is the time to make the switch to NetSuite by Oracle, the number one financial system because NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time, no matter how big your business grows. Failing to switch to NetSuite will leave you stuck, trying to make sense of your books while your competitors sprint ahead. 93% of survey businesses increased their visibility and control since switching to NetSuite. And right now, special financing is back. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program only for those ready to switch today. Head to netsuite.com slash locked on right now. Get special financing at netsuite.com slash locked on. netsuite.com slash locked on. Did you guys know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors? They got coconut, cherry bar, sierra, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, etc., etc. The reason why I love Built Bar is because after this gym, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to go lift some iron, but... I have a sweet tooth, but it's okay because Bilt Bar tricks me. I think that I'm eating a candy bar when in reality, I'm actually eating a protein bar that's low in calorie, low in sugar, but high in protein and high in fiber, so it's great for that keto diet. Just go to Bilt.com, use promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Bilt.com.
All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the pod and let's discuss some more offensive numbers by the D-backs. And two numbers that really stood out to me that I found fascinating that are kind of contradictory of themselves or maybe not even contradictory but like two sides of the same coin at least I feel maybe I'm right maybe I'm wrong you can let me know but the D-backs had the third fewest ground balls into double plays at only 8.6 percent the D-backs didn't ground into a lot of double plays whenever there was guys on bases the D-backs did I want to say a good job of moving them over or something like that, but that's not true either. The D-backs have the second fewest productive outs in the National League at 23%. What's a, what's a productive out, you ask? So when you have a sacrifice flights, when you bring a runner home with, run, with one out, it's when you have a sacrifice bump by a pitcher and they move the runner over, basically an out that advanced the runner or something along those lines. So the D-backs, a lot of times when... Someone was on the bases, they didn't ground into double plays. And maybe that's because a lot of times people are already on second base. I don't know what the answer is, but D-backs did not ground into double plays a lot. Only 8.6% of the time. Third fewest in the National League. But they also weren't great at scoring guys in easy positions, which we know repeatedly. How many times did we see the D-backs? Second and third, one out. Second and third, no outs. Bases loaded, one out. And the D-backs are not able to come through. Second fewest productive outs in the National League at 23%. I thought those two stats were really interesting because I definitely feel like they're two sides of the same coin. But I said we we're going to talk about the D-backs position groups, and let's do that because the D-backs produced a few position groups that were bottom five in offensive war in the NL. First base, of course, Christian Walker, Paven Smith, whoever manned that, was not very good. Second base, which was I was kind of surprised by because there was a lot of Josh Rojas and Ketel Marte, so I was surprised to see. Maybe it's because second base in the National League is more of a stacked position than uh, other position groups, but still, D-backs, second base, produced bottom five offensive war. Shortstop, of course, is not a surprise for the D-backs because Nick Ahmed is basically a liability offensively. And then right field, again, another position that Paven Smith played a lot of, so you don't like to see that. Sorry for the Paven Smith truthers. I like Paven Smith myself. He's a friend of the pod, but Paven Smith is right now just an average, mediocre to average baseball player who I think has a tiny bit of upside. I don't think Paven Smith is ever going to turn into an all-star, but can he be a contributor, a solid contributor to a, a playoff team in the future? I think that's still in his cards. He could be a platoon, maybe starter on a playoff team, but let's look at some other numbers. Some of these splits I got were super damning for the D-backs because the D-backs were terrible against righties in 2021, which is surprising because they had the best platoon advantage in uh, in the National League, but still, it really didn't help their case against righties. The D-backs batted 230 with 672 OPS against righties and a 253 average and 71 OPS against lefties. So the D-backs were really good against those left-handed batters, not so good against the right-handed batters. But maybe that that contrast between the two isn't that stark. It's not like I sat here and did research for every other team in baseball, just the D-backs. But I still feel like that could be evened out a little bit because a 100-point difference between righties and lefties, especially when you're a lot better against the lefties who, who you'll probably face at least amount of times on average just because there's less lefty pitchers than baseball. At least I believe that off the top of my head. There's left left there's less lefty people in the world in general. So I assume if we did a microcosm of that in baseball, there's left 
less lefty pitchers. Damn all those L's. I'm taking an L. But the D-backs, better against lefties than righties. 100-point difference in the OPS, almost. Uh, more like 70-point OPS difference. So hopefully the D-backs can even that out a little bit. But I don't even think that's the most damning split the D-backs have because I don't think that's that damning. I mean, the numbers aren't that crazy, but they're definitely better against lefties and righties, and they're going to see lefties less on average. 963 OPS went ahead in the count, but 487 OPS went behind. And I think that's really important. Obviously, you're going to have better numbers when you're ahead of the count because you have the leverage. You have the advantage. But to be, what, 400 points difference? 500 points? I don't even know what the math is off the top of my head. That's a big difference. And when I was talking talking earlier about how the D-backs were patient and how that's a good and bad thing, the D-backs took the second most strikes in the National League. The D-backs are out there waiting for their pitches, which can be a good thing. But if you're not going to hit home runs, is it really that good of a thing? You're taking all these strikes, but it's not like you're getting a lot of hard hits. It's not like you have a high slugging. Taking all these strikes hasn't helped the D-backs. So I think the D-backs actually need to be more aggressive at the plate. It's a good thing that they're striking out, that their strikeout rate is better than league average, but that hasn't helped them out at all. Maybe they need to strike out more if it means they put a little bit more, if they get a few more base runners, if they get a few more home runs, all that will lead to extra offense for this D-backs team. So I want them to get better when they're behind in the count, I think they need to do that by being more aggressive early because their batting average when they're swinging at the first pitch is like over 300 or something. Like their numbers are insane when it's the first pitch. So I think the D-backs need to be more aggressive at the plate. And this is a positive for the D-backs. 237 average and 707 OPS when the D-backs have runners in scoring position. The D-backs were not that bad in the clutch. Some of their numbers actually show you that they're better in high leverage moments than low leverage moments, but they just didn't have a lot of opportunity to do it because their bullpen sucked, their starters sucked, and their offense could never come through early in game. So there was never enough time late in game to be in high leverage moments. The D-backs were never set up to potentially win a game or a close game because they were not an overall early clutch team if that's even a thing early clutchness so the d-backs need to get out to early leads they need their starters to come out and dominate early when a starter leaves you need your bullpen to not come in and immediately blow it all these things are reasons why this overall season was terrible for the d-backs but one final stat that I want to give you that's also optimistic for the d-backs in uh heading into next year if they get better players the D-backs were better as they saw a starter more times through the lineup. The first time the D-backs saw a starter through the lineup, they had a 638 OPS against. The third time, though, 846 OPS. So the more the D-backs see a player, the more the, the better they get. And that's part because they like to take pitches. But I would like to see that third time through the lineup, those numbers. Maybe maybe make those numbers the second time through the lineup because the first and second time through the lineup against the D-backs, the numbers are pretty much the same. The D-backs really jump on a starter that third time through the lineup. So I think the D-backs just, their offense needs to get better quicker. Attack more early in your plate appearances. Attack earlier in the counts. Don't wait so long for pitches that you're not even going to hit if you're taking all these strikes. And also, that second time through the lineup, 
Try to strike fast. Get these starters out the game and get to the bullpen because that's where you can really wreck teams, especially if you're doing that in the first game of the series. Now, that messes them up the rest of the series. If you if you have to make the first game a bullpen game for a team, that's going to make the, the rest of the bullpen on short rest, and then you have a better chance of winning that series. D-backs, attack, attack early. That's my motto for this D-backs offense in 2022. Attack and attack early. Now we'll discuss the postseason in the final segment of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast because I got some thoughts about the Red Sox and Dodgers series, but we're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus from basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the pod and let's discuss the MLB postseason. Let's first start with the Red Sox versus the, uh, the Astros. I almost forgot who they were playing, but let's first discuss that series because that's been a pretty wild one. Red Sox offense has been blistering hot the first couple rounds of the postseason, but these last two games they've really tailed off and Astros pitching has really stepped up. Framber Valdez was phenomenal last night. And this series, I think, is going to go 7 regardless. I know the Astros are up 3-2. I know it's going back to Houston, but I don't think the Red Sox are out of it just yet. And I like their matchup in tomorrow's game on Friday because our guess is today's game by the time you guys are listening to this. A little sneak peek. I'm recording this Thursday night at 7 o'clock so you guys can have it for Friday. But the Red Sox, their offense did a great job against Luis Garcia last time who only was able to make it through one inning, gave up five earned runs, and they jumped all over him. They did, the Red Sox has have done a great job a lot the last, not the last two games, but before that, the, the six, seven games before that, they did a great job of jumping out early to leads, which is something we just discussed for the D-backs, and getting that starter out the game. But the Astros offense has been kind of doing the same thing too the last couple of games. They weren't able to do it against Chris Sale, but They've been jumping out to at least the early lead, a home run in the first, second inning. And I think Friday's game, Avaldi versus Garcia, I, I like the Red Sox in that matchup. I really like a Nate Avaldi because I think he's clutch. Yes, he was terrible in the ninth inning where he gave up multiple runs and basically blew the game. But it was really the ump who blew that game. Like, can we please get electronic umps in baseball already? Why are we subjecting ourselves to this? We know what a strike zone is. Why do we need human error? Nate Evaldi got screwed in that game, but he was solid in the first start against the Astros. I think Nate Evaldi's a big game pitcher. I think he's going to show up tomorrow. The biggest question is, can the bullpen hold up when Evaldi goes out? I think Evaldi, I think Evaldi's going to need to go like six, seven innings tomorrow. And if he's 
pitching efficiently. I think Alex Cora might leave him in longer. I don't think the D-backs want to go to the bullpen unless they're bringing out a Hawk or uh, Garrett Whitlock. I don't think there's a lot of trusty options right now for the Red Sox in that bullpen. So they're going to win tomorrow. And I think they will. I think we'll be back. Be on the back of Nate Evaldi to do it. Luis Garcia, he's still too young and too raw. He hasn't been in the postseason enough, so I wouldn't be surprised if he gets shelled again because he's been kind of shelled his first two starts. So I like the Red Sox in Friday's game against the Astros. Alex Cora, remember, still has never lost a postseason series as a bench coach or a manager, so I don't want to hear crap about cheating. But let's look at that Dodgers versus Braves series because as I'm recording this, the, Dodger, uh, the Dodgers are up 6-2 in the top of the six. And this series has been crazy. The fact that Braves are even up 3-1, mad respect to the Braves. We all want the Braves to finish off the Dodgers. I don't think they will tonight. But they can get, I'm not even sure who, what the rotation is set up like. But if the, if the Braves can get another Max Fried or Ian Anderson start, before the series ends, I think this is the brave series to take. I know it's back in LA. I know the Dodgers are probably great at home. They got a stud lineup, no doubt. But this Braves team, once you're in the postseason and you're battling like this, like throw the records away. The players in the Braves lineup are hot. Freddie Freeman, Eddie Rosario, Jock Tober. They've been carrying this team offensively. Austin Riley's been a uh, hit or miss, but he's got a couple big plays, at least in the offseason, that have changed a couple games. So we know the Dodgers offense really has been kind of hit or miss as well. They're doing good Thursday night, but overall... Bellinger has been the guy coming through a lot of time for the Dodgers, which is not something you expected after watching him in the regular season. I know the Dodgers have more talent. I know they're the better team on paper, but at this point, the postseason is a different animal. Some guys step up, some guys shrink. I'm actually looking at the game now. So Max Freed started this game, actually, so he gave this one up he blew this game so the Braves aren't winning this game I don't think we'll see uh Max Freed again for the rest of the series so if they have Ian Anderson pitching tomorrow which they might do I, I'm gonna like the Braves in that series now the Dodgers beating Ian Anderson in tomorrow's game Friday's game when you are listening to this if that does happen if he is pitching Friday and the Dodgers win then I think the Dodgers go on to win the series so basically it's gonna come down to the starter on Friday if that's Ian Anderson then I'm rocking with him and the Braves. But if Ian Anderson gets shelled, then the Dodgers are going to win. So I think this series falls on Ian Anderson's shoulders. If he's good, the Braves win this series. If he's bad, the Dodgers will win this series. Even if Ian Anderson pitches in Game 7, I believe the Braves will win that game. So Ian Anderson, the fate of the postseason in terms of the Braves' success or failure will rest on your shoulders, in my opinion. Now, that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who might have tuned in today. Thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. Come back next week for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Go check out Lockdown MLB for more baseball coverage. Paul Francis Sullivan, please call him Sully, brings you the greatest advice and opinions on baseball, both past and present. So please go check out that podcast. Please continue subscribing, sharing, and reviewing this podcast. Remember, it's free and available on all platforms. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account. And of course, remember, please stay safe and stay healthy out there. Deuces!